good to be here with you this morning. Uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I look back, and uh, it's been about exactly a year since I started in chapter 5, and now we finally reached chapter 6. Um, how many of you, I'm curious, especially you children, how many of you have ever played the little game Mother May I? Do you know what that game is? Okay, so most, most of you know how that works. Um, we used to play that at home when I was young, especially when Jody was really young. Um, we liked having her be the mother, and this was back before she was a grown lady having babies of her own. Um, she would get all worked up when we would try to sneak uh, past others without her noticing. Um, so we enjoyed playing with her. But in that game, um, if you remember how it works, uh, the mother uh, says what you can do, and maybe she says you can take three, uh, I forget what you call them, giant steps or something. And so we get all excited and take the three steps and then realize that, oops, we forgot to say, Mother, may I? And we have to go back to the start. Well, that's a little illustration, maybe, of um, what Jesus is saying here in the first part of Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you look at the first verse of chapter 6, uh, this is from the NIV. Uh, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And that kind of sums up uh, the first part of this chapter. Uh, if we are doing our, our good works to be seen by others, uh, it doesn't profit us or reward us any more than taking those three giant steps without saying, Mother, may I? Um, that's as much reward. That satisfaction of doing that is as, as far as it goes. Uh, there's no lasting benefit to it, um, no eternal reward. Um, in, in the first, we're just going to look at the first part of this chapter, and Jesus uh, gives three specific examples or areas where uh, we're especially prone to uh, do our acts of righteousness before man instead of before God. Um, and in this chapter, Jesus kind of contrasts the way we should live with the way pagans live and the way the hypocrites live. Um, you know, the pagans have zero interest in pleasing God, and they babble with their long prayers, uh, hoping to be heard, and they chase after the clothes and um, uh, food and all of that. And the hypocrites, um, well, they're like the Pharisees. They're doing everything to, to impress people. And if you want to see where, where Jesus is really addressing the, the Pharisees and the hypocrites, you can look at Matthew 23, um, where he uses very strong language, calls them blind guides, blind fools, snakes, brood of vipers, um, stuff that makes us cringe a little bit even. Um, but here, he's just he's talking to, uh, I think, serious followers. Um, I think we can say like us, um, people who want to do what's right, but who are prone to the same um, selfishness and self-centeredness that 
and wrong motives that was so evident in the uh, Pharisees, and were also prone to the same obsession with earthly things um, that the pagans uh, are doing, and you can see that in the world around us. So uh, let's read uh, through verse 24, I guess, of chapter 6, and and pay attention to the three areas where we can really mess up in this area of, of doing things to impress others, and and look at look at the reward that we get for that or don't get. Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put, on, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men yet that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in, the, in um, these first verses of chapter 6, Jesus talks about giving uh, to the needy to get attention. And he warns us against announcing it with trumpets and doing it in public places. Um, we won't get any reward beyond the praise of men if we do that. He also warns against praying to impress people. Um, that's all the reward we'll get. If that's what we're going for, we'll probably get it, but that's as far as our reward will go uh, if we're looking for the praise of men. Rather, it should be done at home, in private, um, and God sees that and will reward us. And don't think that our words, our many words will impress God. He already knows what we need. Um, and then fasting um, 
to impress people. Uh, we should not make it obvious that we're fasting, but try to do it very discreetly. Um, and God sees that, and he will reward us for that. Uh, there's a few lessons that I, I feel like we can learn from looking at these verses, and I want to talk about those a little bit, and then I want to talk about um, what, what, it, what does proper giving look like, what does proper prayer look like, and proper fasting that pleases God, and these are big topics that uh, could each have a sermon of their own, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, so we'll, we'll just try to um, cover these briefly. But a few lessons that stood out to me as I studied these, the, these verses over the last few weeks. One thing is that God sees everything. Okay, that's pretty obvious, but He sees everything we do, the good and the bad. So um, there's no need to draw attention to the good things we're doing. Um, God sees it. And there's no need, uh, there's no point in trying to hide uh, the bad because God sees that too. Uh, we can't hide anything from God. He sees it all. And um, another thing I noticed is that uh, these good things, these good deeds, these acts of righteousness, they're normal expected behavior for Christians. Um, Jesus starts out each of these little sections with uh, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, uh, this is expected behavior. Um, the fact that some people uh, do this for show doesn't mean that we should avoid these behaviors. Um, they're good, and they're, they're supposed to be done. Um, they please God if they're done in the right way. Um, I don't know if I ever told you what the title of my message was. Um, I'm calling this the pitfall of the pious, okay? Um, maybe I mentioned that already. So the primary problem here is uh, not that, uh, that people do these good things. Um, the problem is, is wrong motives behind it, or, or maybe a wrong mindset, the mindset that I'm a really good person because I do these acts of righteousness, I do these good things. And that, that is the pitfall of the pious, um, thinking that we're a good person because we do these righteous acts before God. Now, Jesus is, is um, addressing a specific problem here, uh, one ditch, we could say. And so to balance things out, we need to look around a little more. Just earlier in chapter 5, if you look back at verse 16, uh, Jesus said, when he was talking about being salt and light, uh, he's talking about how a city on a hill can't be hid. He said, in the, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So a righteous life will draw attention to God, um, and people will see it. The, the point, the, the distinction is, I think, that it draws people's attention to God and not to ourselves. And that's the problem uh, that Jesus is pointing out in chapter 6. And I thought maybe... It's a little bit like uh, a window. I don't know how it is at your house, but sometimes I get up in the morning and I can see a beautiful sunrise outside of my bedroom window. And um, when I see a beautiful sunrise, I don't just think to myself, oh, what a wonderful, clear window. Um, usually, I, lately, I've been thinking, well, that's a dirty window. That needs to be clean. 
Um, but when you see a beautiful sunrise or sunset through a nice window, the focus is not on the window at all. It's on the, you don't even notice it. It's, it's the beautiful sunset or sunrise. And that's a little bit like it should be with us and our good deeds, I think. Um, we should just show people to God, draw people to God, and not be the focus at all. And, um, you know, this, this analogy, I don't take it too far, but, you know, perhaps when we are like these pious Pharisees, uh, we're a little bit like a stained glass window. Um, all the attention is on us, and we're hiding the beautiful sunrise behind us. So is it possible to do good deeds in public with proper motives? Um, and I think definitely yes. Um, and we have many examples of these, these three um, trouble spots being done in public, uh, and, and it seems to be a good thing. Um, in Acts 4, we have the account of um, Barnabas and others who gave... Uh, sold their their land or their property and gave the money to the apostles uh, to be used for whoever had needs. Um, and that seems like it was done in public. People knew what was happening. Um, at least Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be uh, in on that. Um, and that seems to be a good thing, at least when it was done right, like in Barnabas's case. Um, prayer can be done in public or collectively. Uh, we see in Acts 12... This was when Peter was put in prison, um, and then the angel came and, and uh, opened up the door, and he was released. He says, it says in Acts 12, 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So they were having a, um, a late night uh, prayer service, I think probably especially for Peter and, and the situation that they were facing. And that was a good thing. Uh, Daniel 6 uh, talks about how the advisors and uh, other administrators were trying to trap him. And they realized that the only way that they could trap him and um, keep him from being promoted was uh, to find fault with his religion. And they got the king to make that decree that nobody can worship anybody but the king for 30 days. But Daniel went right back to his room after he heard about that, and just like he did three times every day, um, he went with his window open towards Jerusalem and prayed and thanked God. And I don't know how public that was, but it was public enough that these other administrators knew about it, and they came and saw him, and uh, that's how he was thrown into the, why he was thrown into the lion's den. So... Public prayer sometimes takes a lot of courage, and collective prayer can be a very good thing. And fasting can be done as a group as well. Um, in Esther chapter 4, when she learned um, about uh, Haman's plot, uh, she was very distressed, and she uh, sent a message to Mordecai, said, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will fast as you do. So that was something the entire Jewish um, population there uh, seems to have done together. And in Acts 13, 
Barnabas, the early church, I'm not sure exactly who it was, but Paul and Barnabas at least, and others were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it says in Acts 13.2. And as they were doing this, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And I don't know if their fasting and worshiping was just a, that was just a regular part of their worship service, that they just fasted uh, periodically, or if they were especially seeking God's direction um, for where they should go next or, or the direction of their ministry. But in any case, they were doing it as a group, and um, God spoke to them and gave them direction. You can turn to Luke 18. So, so we can see that what Jesus is, is addressing here is one ditch, and we shouldn't think that um, everything, every good deed needs to be done in secret, but rather we should guard ourselves against these wrong attitudes and wrong motives that Jesus is addressing. And Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9, um, is a parable that Jesus told, especially directed at these people who have fallen into this pitfall of the pious. Um, people who have the wrong motives and the wrong mindset when it comes to doing good deeds. And this makes a very clear contrast between the proper mindset and attitude and the improper uh, attitude. Luke 18, 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This Pharisee was a thankful man. He was thanking God, and he was also a pretty good man. He was doing good things. He was very disciplined, fasting twice a week, and he was tithing religiously on um, his income. But he had the wrong mindset. He felt that that placed him in good standing with God, and it placed him above others. He was looking down on other people uh, because of his good deeds, where uh, the, the tax collector was not focused on other people at all. Uh, he was only recognizing his own needs before God. And that is what um, justified him before God. So, this whole thing of pride and selfishness and living for um, praise of men uh, can take on different forms. Um, and Jesus uses... Uh, the term hypocrite many times here, and uh, just to be sure I was thinking of, about this right, I looked up what hypocrisy is, and the, de the definition is planning to have a moral standard or, or beliefs 
um, to which one doesn't even one's own behavior doesn't even uh, conform. Basically, a pretense. So um, we can be a hypocrite in many different ways. Um, the way that Jesus uh, condemns here in, in Matthew chapter six, I'm going to call the haughty hypocrite, um, and this is just blatantly. Um, flaunting our good deeds uh, so that people can see them, and we can chuckle a little bit at these kind of these kinds of people. Um, you know, I don't even have a trumpet, so I'm not going to be blowing a trumpet when I put money in the offering. Um, we've been trained uh, since we were little children that it's not cool to brag. Um, you don't want to be a proud person and brag about all the good things you do. So. We're probably not many of us are going to be this haughty hypocrite, but there's other ways that we can be hypocritical and live for the praise of men. Um, there's also the hope you notice hypocrite, who wouldn't actually come out and brag about the righteous things they're doing, but maybe we'll drop a few subtle hints um, about how busy we were yesterday and the good things we were doing, and um, and hope people notice, take notice of all the good that we're we're accomplishing and, and praise us for it and hope that they don't catch on that we enjoy their praise. Um, then there's the humble hypocrite uh, who is, is just too humble to take on any responsibility. Um, they're not good at this and they're not good at that and when really um, they don't want to fail, uh, we don't want to fail. I mean, I've been here before. Um, I don't like criticism, so I'd rather just not try that. Um, and really, this is just another way of um, valuing the praise of people over the praise of God when we're too concerned about what other people think or we're not, uh, or we're too much of a perfectionist. Um, we don't want to do anything if we're not the best. Um, that's the same kind of attitude as this haughty hypocrite who is uh, is trying to get praise for their good deeds. Uh, it just shows up in a different way. So I, I've been guilty of that. And then the fourth uh, type of hypocrite, uh, I'm going to call the half-hearted hypocrite. Um, and this is just a lack of seriousness or discipline in private prayer, fasting, or giving. Um, if nobody knows about our good, the good things uh, or these good disciplines, it's not worth our time to do it. Uh, we don't put the effort into it. Um, we don't value it enough. We don't maybe we don't love God enough. Um, we don't value these disciplines. Uh, we don't quite see how it's going to benefit us, and nobody sees, so uh, it's just neglected. Um, and I've, I've been there, too. Um, maybe I put more effort into uh, something public, like this message, than in my private prayer life that nobody else is going to see. Um, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3 right before Matthew, if I remember right. Malachi chapter 3, 
verse 13. And there's a number of interesting verses in Malachi that relate to this subject, so you can kind of keep a finger there, and we'll look at another verse or two here later. But in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, um, God is kind of making a case against the children of Israel and accusing them of different things, and they're saying, oh, well, how are we doing that? That doesn't, we, we don't do that. Uh, and this happens several times throughout the book. But um, in chapter 13 of Malachi, or in verse 13 of Malachi 3, uh, God says, You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. I would never say this, um, that it's futile to serve God. But sometimes by my actions, um, I show that that's kind of what I believe. Um, well, when, I, when my private uh, relationship with God, my, my prayer, um, my fasting, my devotion to God... Uh, is neglected, uh, it shows a little bit that I don't think it's really worth my time. Um, so this this is something that maybe hits a little closer home than uh, blowing trumpets on the street corners. At least it does for me. So now I'd like to look at uh, these three areas that Jesus talks about. Um, giving prayer and fasting, and just briefly look at uh, what does proper giving, prayer, and fasting look like. Uh, if you want to keep a finger there and then flip to 1 Timothy uh, 6, there's a few verses that we'll look at. Timothy has quite a bit, or Paul, I guess, when writing to Timothy, has quite a bit to say about money. I think one thing, uh, one important key or ingredient to proper giving is to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God and that we are stewards of, of this and God is, it, it's God's. Um, and that gives us a totally different perspective on our possessions and giving. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, um, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Um, and then if you skip down a few more verses, about chapter 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them who do good to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up, for them, lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Um, it's pretty clear here that, that uh, we didn't bring anything into the world, and what we have, God richly provides. And our kind of the American capitalistic mindset is that um, I worked hard for what I have, and I deserve to enjoy it. And you could even use this scripture here. You know, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Um, and we could feel entitled to enjoy it. And I think God does want us to um, 
enjoy life. He, uh, he has really blessed us. Um, but if we, if we recognize that everything we have, have comes from God, um, then we, we will no longer just give a small percentage, like our tithe or whatever, and check that off of our to-do list and feel like um, that's taken care of now, the rest is mine. Um, rather, we'll look at all of our resources as God's and, and how can we best use them um, to build his kingdom. Um, and we'll try to make our giving count. It's not just something to check off the list. We've done that now. Um, but we want to give in ways and, and to, to causes that will actually count for the kingdom. Um, we know that money won't, uh, doesn't help every situation. And I think the more I learn about uh, missions and the more I hear um, I realized that you know money doesn't always isn't always the best thing, and it's easy to give money to somebody and um, feel good about that, but maybe it's not really what they need. Uh, but that shouldn't keep us from giving. Um, we just need to do the work, do our homework, and and try to find ways uh, to give that we feel really good about. Um, and I'll just say one way that I think is uh, really hard to go wrong uh, in giving is, and there's many, but one is giving Bibles. Um, as long as it's a good organization that is going to put that money into Bibles, uh, it doesn't matter whether those Bibles get confiscated, end up in the wrong hands. Um, the Word of God can be used um, no matter where it ends up. Um, so that's just, just one example. But, uh, you know, find the cause that you feel good about. Um, and there's many options and, um, and give. Uh, another uh, thing to keep in mind is to make giving a priority. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God talked a lot about first fruits, giving first fruits. And we should give first fruits and not the leftovers. Um, if, if you still have a finger in Malachi, you can go to Malachi chapter 1. Looks like I lost it here. The, Israelite, the, the children of Israel weren't doing so great with their giving. And in Malachi 1 verse 8, now actually let's start a little Okay, verse 7. You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifices, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Um, are we... Are we uh, being as diligent um, and intentional about our giving as we are in other areas of our life? Um, or is giving kind of an afterthought? Uh, it's what we do when we remember. Or it's what we do uh, with the leftovers at the end of the month, if there is any leftover. 
or is, is giving an intentional thing where we, we um, try to budget uh, or, and, and give as much as we can to worthy causes? Um, are we being intentional, as intentional about giving as we are about investments or um, business or hobbies or uh, any number of things? Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul encourages the Corinthians to do what the Galatian, Galatian churches do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. Um, make it intentional. Uh, do it regularly and, and don't just give leftovers. And um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul also uh, encourages, and there's a lot, a whole lot more about giving in, in these uh, books, but Paul says not to give grudgingly or out of obligation, but to give cheerfully. And probably most of you remember uh, when John D. Martin was here talking about the, this very thing, uh, he said, be a hilarious giver. Um, God wants us to find enjoyment out of, out of giving and not just give because it's our duty or it's an obligation. And we should also give sacrificially. Uh, Jesus uh, makes this point in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 1. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And what I like about this parable is that it, it shows that our ability to bless God through our giving um, is not dependent on our financial status or um, uh, our, our amount of wealth. Or, uh, and then on the other hand, uh, our, our financial position is no excuse uh, to not be giving sacrificially. Um, the high school student, uh, the college student, has just as much potential um, for giving as a wealthy business owner. Um, I think that's the point of this parable. Uh, it's, it's easy to feel good about how much we give sometimes, um, but often it's not hurting us much. Um, I have a distant relative who died recently, and I don't know much about the situation, and I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to judge him. I, I know very little, but uh, he died and left um, several farms worth several million dollars, and um, in his will, he wanted to give all that to charity, which is a good thing. Uh, it didn't necessarily make all of his children very happy. But uh, all of that wealth was given to charity. And that reminded me of um, some comments that we heard on our recent high school uh, field trip about slaveholders um, in Virginia. And we were told about two accounts of slaveholders, and there were many others um, that did this. On their death, they made provisions in their will to release all of their slaves. Um, and in one case, 
uh, they were given money to resettle in a different state um, where it was legal for them to live as free men. In another case, um, they were supposed to be hired out, and the, the money was to be used to support the widow until she died, and then um, what money was left was to be used to uh, give those slaves freedom. That's good, um, but it's there's no cost. After, after the, that slaveholder is dead, um, they can do that good deed, and there's no cost for them. Uh, they benefited from those slaves while they were alive. Uh, and I, I don't want to judge, but it can be a little bit the same way if, uh, if we are giving all of our assets to charity um, on our death. Uh, you know, maybe, and at that point, it doesn't cost us anything, okay? Uh, so, and, and maybe they, these assets of this relative of mine were being used in a very good way, and um, it's very possible. But we should be giving sacrificially while we're alive, not only when it doesn't cost us anything. Um, and, and then one lesson from, from Matthew 6 it's just to give anonymously. Um, if nobody has to know about it, just give anonymously, and that uh, keeps us from struggling with some of these feelings of pride or arrogance that we're doing a good thing. All right, moving on to um, prayer. Uh, what is the purpose of prayer? Uh, you can go back to Matthew 6. And I think there's a few things we can learn from Jesus' example prayer here in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15. Uh, Jesus is clear it's not to make God aware of our needs. He already knows those. But I think the purpose of prayer, is, there's several purposes. One is to recognize God for who He is, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. And also to align our desires with, with God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we, we get into this mindset of wanting the things that God wants. And prayer also can help us recognize our needs, um, physical and spiritual. And uh, in Jesus' example, he says, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are physical and spiritual needs we have. And then as a result of this, um, of realizing our own spiritual needs, we also realize our obligation to others, um, our need to forgive others. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So um, prayer helps us to recognize God for who He is, get our will in line with His, and then recognize how much we depend on God for physical and spiritual needs and how that affects uh, our relationships with each other. Um, I thought of an example, and just bear with me, maybe this won't make sense, maybe it will, but um, in the same way that a, a child, a young child, may not be able to adequately express to a doctor um, exactly the, the exact medical needs of their deathly sick parent, okay? Um, that child having a uh, 
a real desire and um, love for their parent, their deathly sick parent, will probably move the doctor to do his absolute best to try to help heal that that sick parent. Um, that will do more than the child being able to say, my, my father needs, or my dying mother needs this and this and this medical uh, procedure. Like, okay, the doctor knows so much more than the child, um, but the child's interest and love and care um, can move the heart of the doctor. And perhaps um, it, it works in a similar way with, with God. Uh, God knows so much more than us. Um, we think we know what we need. Uh, we think we know situations. Uh, maybe we don't. Um, but God can still be moved and, and pleased with our interest and our concern in our prayer. Um, I don't know how prayer works, uh, but I do know that God responds to prayer. Um, we have examples throughout the Bible. Uh, I mentioned earlier about how there was that prayer meeting going on when Peter was in prison, and uh, the church earnestly prayed for him, and he was released. Um, prayer also has an effect on us. We mentioned a few things earlier. Um, it helps us recognize our standing before God when we when we spend time in prayer. And you know, communication is part of any healthy relationship. Um, and prayer is one of our primary ways to communicate with God. So if I value my relationship with God, I'm going to spend time in prayer. And if my prayer life is an indication of my uh, relationship with God, um, how close am I to God? Um, am I a close friend or am I just a very distant acquaintance? Um, I, I have to... Uh, I'm convicted when I think about uh, what my prayer life says about my relationship with God. And finally, I'd like to look at fasting. And when I thought about fasting, I wondered to myself if fasting is kind of a neglected discipline. Um, you know, it's something that I have done occasionally when I'm really burdened by something. Um, but it's not a very frequent thing. And many times when I feel a burden for something and feel like maybe I should fast and pray about this, um, I also think of reasons why that's kind of inconvenient and I'm a little lazy and it doesn't happen. And then the feeling passes and I go on with life. So I wondered, um, is this just me or are there others like me? Um, and I reached out to a couple, a few friends, about half a dozen friends, from some here, some elsewhere, and um, was just curious what their experience was in fasting, um, and what if they, if they if they weren't fasting as much as they felt they should, if they weren't content with their level of fasting, um, what was holding them back? What were some what are some of the hindrances to fasting? Why don't we do it more? Um, and these friends varied. Um, some of them rarely fasted or fasted when, uh, you know, kind of like me, when there's a, a special burden, um, not very often. Um, one fasts every week, 
uh, just one meal every week, uh, spend an hour in prayer. Um, some have fasted uh, at times in their life for one day out of a week um, to spend time in prayer. Some have fasted multiple days uh, in, in special uh, times of crisis or distress. Um, so their, their experience is varied. Um, but I was encouraged that uh, fasting is not, it's not totally neglected. Um, we, we do fast, um, and, and they're living out Jesus' example. They're not, um, they're not broadcasting it to everybody. I didn't know about all these, these people, some of these people that had been fasting. Um, and I asked them, you know, what are some of the hindrances that uh, keep you from fasting? What are some of the challenges of fasting? Um, and one thing several of them mentioned was just laziness or weakness of the flesh. Um, it's kind of hard to fast and give up food. Uh, lack of fervor for God's work. And that's something that I, I think is part of my problem. I don't feel strongly enough about situations um, to t- put the effort into actually taking time to fast and pray about them. Um, also, some mentioned uh, lack of faith that prayers actually have that our prayers actually have power. Um, will it actually make a difference? Uh, and I can identify with that. Um, and then also, some mentioned uncertainty about what fasting should look like in a thriving Christian. Like, uh, is fasting something that should just be done? Uh, you know, every once in a while when we feel an extreme burden and, and need for fasting, or is it something that's supposed to be a regular part of our life? Um, kind of like prayer and Bible reading. Uh, and there's, there's also practical reasons why some of us don't fast more. Um, it's hard to work productively um, when you're fasting, and it can be really awkward at mealtimes uh, if you're fasting. Um, it's hard not to be noticed if you're just not eating when everybody else is eating. And it can separate us from family, um, social uh, settings. Uh, so those are some of the challenges and reasons people gave for not fasting more. So I was, I was after discussing that, uh, I was thinking, so what is fasting? What, what, what is the purpose? What, what should it look like? Um, and you should probably talk to somebody besides me, but here are my thoughts. Um, I think I, I see it now very much like prayer. Um, it can be used as a, as a regular discipline uh, to deny ourselves, to deny our flesh, and focus on God. You know, unlike prayer, we're not, we're never commanded to, you know, fast without ceasing. That would probably be a problem. Um, and in fact, I don't think, unless I missed it, I don't think we're ever commanded to fast at all in the New Testament. But there are plenty of examples, um, especially in the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. And, and Jesus talks about fasting like it's just normal, expected behavior uh, in, in Matthew 6 and also when... Um, when he was questioned about why his disciples aren't fasting, and John the Baptist's disciples are, he said, well, they, they don't fast when the bridegroom is with them, but after he's taken, then they will. Uh, so it seems like normal expected behavior. That's the way Jesus treats it. 
Um, so I see fasting as similar to prayer. Um, one person I talked to mentioned that um, they, they did regular fasting, weekly fasting, and they said that um, sometimes it can feel like something really good. That hour of time spent praying can feel really good. Other times it just feels kind of mundane and um, doesn't feel like anything special is happening. Uh, just like prayer and Bible reading, sometimes it's very special and sometimes uh, it takes a little discipline to stick at it. Um, regular fasting should be the same, can be the same way. And, and just like prayer can be a regular uh, beneficial part of our um, spiritual life, we can devote times um, to special times of prayer when we're in a, spe- a special need or distress. Uh, and fasting and prayer, of course, go together. But um, we can use fasting as a regular discipline and also uh, in times of, of special distress, just like prayer. And I don't know how fasting works. Um, we can't, we don't force God to listen to us by our fasting. Um, but I think fasting does demonstrate humility before God and um, encourages repentance, at least the, the true God-honoring fast. Um, clearly, uh, fasting to be impressed, to impress others uh, is not a very humble thing to do. But God-honoring fasting demonstrates humility and repentance. Um, and there's, I have two examples that I'd like to look at. You can turn to First Kings 21. And this story, every time I read it, I'm kind of amazed. Kings. Okay, First Kings 21. Let's start at verse 21. Okay, this is a, a prophet talking to King Ahab. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. And he goes on to talk about more judgment. And then let's jump down to verse 25. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord had drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Ahab was one of the most wicked kings, and yet when he fasted and truly humbled himself before God, God took notice, and God changed his course of action and had mercy on Ahab while he was living. Um, and, and then also in Jonah, chapter 3, this is the f- familiar story. 
and I was going to put a marker in here because I always have trouble finding Jonah. Right after Obadiah. So in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So, by their fasting, they demonstrated how serious they were about repenting. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we need to go around in sackcloth and sit in ashes, but are we feeling um, strongly enough about situations, about our own spiritual needs, about others' spiritual needs, that we're willing to go this far and um, fast before God? Uh, and I'm speaking to myself here. Let's not neglect fasting um, when we feel distressed or burdened about things. And maybe it's something we should consider as a regular discipline. Um, just because the Pharisee in uh, Luke 18 fasted twice a week and was not um, justified before God, I don't think we should just throw out uh, fasting as a regular discipline any more than we should throw out giving um, because he was giving regularly. Uh, that was a good um, discipline, but that was not um, going to bring him uh, into standing with... He, he had the wrong motive, I guess. Um, and we need to guard... We need to do these good things without uh, letting it go to our head, I guess. Um, it should be done out of devotion to God and not just a sense of, of duty either. All right, so, so wrapping this up, um, I have to ask myself, have I fallen into the pitfall of the pious? Um, am, I, am I doing good things to be seen by others? And, and the root problem here is a motivation to impress people rather than God. Um, the deeds are good, and they should be done. Uh, but what is my motive? Um, am I doing things in public that would be better done in secret? Um, am I more concerned about what people think about me than what God thinks? And, and this shows up in different ways. Um, there's the haughty hypocrite, uh, the hope-you-notice hypocrite, the humble hypocrite who doesn't want to fail and doesn't like criticism, um, the half-hearted hypocrite who doesn't have enough faith um, that there's any benefit in doing these things in private. Uh, so I hope, hope like, uh, like this has encouraged me, this has encouraged you to 
be more faithful in these um, Christian disciplines and in our devotion to God. Um, is, is my spiritual life what it should be, or is it neglected? And is my primary goal in life, in all of life, um, really to please God or not? Thank you for your attention.